friends, I'm Maria Peña, here with another episode of Voices for Change, where each week I will introduce you to people that are doing their part to enrich and empower the Hispanic community. Later on, I'll tell you how you can help make our podcast better, because it is, after all, a program meant to inspire everyone who wants to contribute to change in their communities. Welcome again. We have with us today Cristina Jimenez, co-founder and executive director of United We Dream, one of the largest advocacy organizations for dreamers and immigrants in general in the U.S. Cristina's work has gotten national recognition over the years. In 2017, she was named a MacArthur Fellow, and she also received the Freedom from Fear Award from the Roosevelt Institute, among other achievements. Christina is using her voice and her platform to fight for immigration reform. Today, we will discuss the passing of Congressman John Lewis, an icon of the civil rights movement, his legacy, and his impact on the immigrants' rights movement. Welcome to the program, Christina. Great to be here. So, Christina, let's start off with, you know, commenting a little bit about the passing of Representative John Lewis. He was an icon of the civil rights movement, uh, one of the last living uh, legends from that movement. Um, and he was a very firm supporter of Dreamers and the whole immigrant movement. Um, tell us a little bit about your experience working with him. Coming to these shores. My folks were brought here more than 400 years ago against their will on the shores of Africa. And now another group of people, people of color, brown people, looking for a better place. Call it what you want to call it, but I call it pure racism. It is such a heartbreaking moment. Um, for me, uh, someone who um, got inspired to organize immigrant communities as a young person um, and to fight for the justice and dignity of communities, um, because I learned uh, about people like John Lewis, like Ella Baker, Martin Luther King, Rosa Parks, and many others from the civil rights movement. And particularly, you know, John Lewis, for me, is special because he also started his involvement in the civil rights movement as a young person when he was uh, about 17 years old and became a co-founder of uh, the youth organization of the, you know, one of the most uh, prominent ones during the civil rights movement, the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, and went on to hold... Uh, different leadership roles there, including being uh, the chair, one of the chairs of uh, the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, uh, which was a youth organization, like the one that I helped co-found you know, with United We Dream. So I, I see John Lewis as uh, an inspiring example of uh, youth activism and how young people uh, bring change um, and create change for our country, um, and, you know, who put his lies on the line and was really courageous uh, for the fight um, for uh, human rights, um, for civil rights. Um, and within that fight, he was always outspoken uh, and supportive um, with the fight for immigrant justice. And like in many of his speeches, 
He said to us, when you see injustice, speak up, take action, get in good trouble. Um, and I think that uh, for me, as someone who is fighting for the justice for immigrants, for communities of color, you know, I want to make John Lewis proud and continue to create uh, good trouble because even in moments under this administration, when we've seen so many attacks on the immigrant communities, uh, he's been one of those members of Congress without hesitation mm-hmm. that has always, um, you know, spoken up, taken action, and in many times um, had also, uh, you know, put his body on the line by risking arrest mm-hmm. along and- with many of us within the immigrant justice movement. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that you brought that up because obviously, you know, a lot of the tributes that we're seeing um, over the last couple of days have been uh, the good trouble um, aspect. And I remember I, I, I interviewed him over the years, um, you know, in covering immigration reform. And one of the phrases that stands out to me was um, that he said, you know, it doesn't matter what boat you came in, or how you came into America, because we're all in the same boat now. Do you think uh, that that we have lessons to learn still from the civil rights movement? I think that the civil rights movement has inspired um, the immigrant youth movement. Um, It it definitely has uh, inspired uh, what I would call, you know, one of the new important movements of our country, which is the movement for black lives or the Black Lives Matter movement. And um, Congressman Lewis said it himself. He was really proud of all the young people that have been part of, uh, now has been, uh, is being recorded the largest uh, 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 social movement protest in the history of this country, uh, which has been the, the uprising led by the movement for black lives. So I actually think that we're living through an extraordinary moment that uh, Congressman Lewis so really proud about, where you're seeing not only black communities are speaking out mm-hmm. against police brutality and racism, but where you've seen white people and brown people uh, and people from immigrant communities, from Latinx communities, from Asian American communities, uh, coming out to the streets and, and joining many rallies and many protests to speak out against racism, you know, where we know that the systematic racism that has impacted black communities, it's impacting other communities of color. You know, I know it myself because growing up in Jackson Heights, Queens, as an immigrant community um, and uh, as part of an undocumented family, I have countless times where where, we, where my family and I were racially profiled by police. Mm-hmm. My brother was only 11 years old when he was a stop and frisk by the NYPD. What we are seeing this moment is how the entire country is engaging in a conversation about police brutality and mm-hmm. racism in a way that I've never experienced in, in my own lifetime. And, you know, I've been in this country for 22 years. Mm-hmm. And being led by black communities. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm glad that you brought this up because another thing that's been in the news lately and that Representative Lewis um, often uh, spoke out about is um, police repression of peaceful protesters. Is there a risk that those people who are making trouble um, by, you know, using violence or disrupting peaceful protest? Um, is there a concern that that would dilute the overall message that advocacy groups are trying to send 
by protesting on the streets. I think that that's a problem that we've had, and we saw this in the 60s and the, and the 50s mm-hmm. also, uh, when, uh, you know, the focus uh, in order to dilute the power of movement mm-hmm. uh, went, to, you know, went to the coverage of protesters and painting protesters and or people who are speaking up as violent. So I think that, it, you know, that, that's a challenge that I have actually seen um, our movements um, actually being really disciplined about in terms of lifting up um, mm-hmm. the, the vision, the values of our movements, which are movements that are, um, you know, calling for values of equity, for justice, and of community, values of um, love. Um, what we are seeing right now under this administration is a kind of government intervention and overreach mm-hmm. um, and infringement on our First Amendment rights under the Constitution when you are deploying, when our government is using our taxpaying dollars to deploy border patrol agents and other uh, authorities or agents from other uh, agencies to go after people that have been... Um, protesting and advocating for justice. What is happening in Portland in this moment um, is an example of what could happen as the administration has said publicly, that they are going to do this beyond Portland Mm -hmm. and are going to do this in other parts of this country. So I think that this is really concerning because this is a violation of one of our most fundamental rights, um, like the First Amendment. This administration is doing such an overreach of, you know, um, and dismantling our democracy uh, without any accountability that, you know, it's, it's really terrifying to imagine what other four mm-hmm. uh, additional four years will look like under this administration. What are advocacy groups doing um, as a system, I guess, um, to counter any effort from the administration to further suppress um, protesters, peaceful protesters? Um, you know, I think that for us, it's important that all of uh, the people who are involved in advocacy efforts um, know their our rights, um, and that is something that we've been doing since day one. As you know, the, the protests were um, increasing um, over the last couple of weeks. We know that there are um, many protests and advocacy efforts at the local level that have continued and that have brought change um, around uh, budget, particularly the investment in communities versus investment on policing. And we've seen that from Los Angeles to Minneapolis um, and other other um, other cities um, across the country. So ensuring that our communities know that our movement is winning um, change, but also that we know our rights to ensure that we are um, empowered with information, given the overreach that we see from this administration. And third, um, you know, it's also um, ensuring that, that we send a clear message um, that we will not be uh, silent. Um, we will continue to expose this administration. We will continue to fight for a vision of this country that includes all of us uh, and that ensures that all of us can live without fear um, and with dignity in this country. And, you know, for organizations like United We Dream, for example, we know that a big part of how to get there is um, 
you know, be uh, engaged in the streets and in rallies and marching and protesting, uh, but also uh, being ready to use uh, litigation strategies and legal strategies to defend our rights under the Constitution. Mm -hmm. Yes. And let's move on to the situation with DACA right now. Um, the Supreme Court ruling basically said that it was illegal the way the administration dismantled it. Uh, then we had the president saying that he was going to try to dismantle it a second time anyways, uh, using new arguments. And lately he said that he's promising uh, a solution for dreamers. He's actually told them to keep their chin up and that new things and better things will come for them. But now we have a situation where USCIS is not accepting new applications. Um, and what are you guys going to do if USCIS refuses to take new applications as it should? Well, you know, we are continuing our advocacy efforts um, and also our legal work um, with our team of litigators um, and the movement to continue to push the administration to do what it's supposed to do, which is what the courts uh, have said, not only the Supreme Court, but also uh, a recent case that was decided uh, actually on Friday uh, from the district court in Maryland that affirmed what the Supreme Court already told us on June 18th, which is that this administration needs to, needs to go back to implementing the DACA program the way that it was fully back in 2012. Mm -hmm. And that means receiving new applications um, that, you know, uh, were stopped um, by the termination of DACA in 2017 uh, when Trump issued his executive order. So we will continue to use our organizing tools, our advocacy tools, but also our litigation strategies to push the administration to do what it's supposed to and um, to not challenge and or violate the decision of the Supreme Court. And, you know, we've seen this movie many times before under this administration. We know that the only way to protect um, programs like DACA, the only way for us to really protect our communities is going to be to continue organizing and make sure that this administration does not get to have another term. I have followed your movement from the beginning. Um, I have seen people getting arrested, you know, civil disobedience acts, you know, protests on the Hill, um, you know, graduations, you know, mock-up ceremonies on the Hill to prove a point about dreamers. Uh, walk us through your own growth through this movement and, and how you got involved to begin with. Um, you know, uh, Maria, I'm grateful for uh, your question because I think it's so timely to um, uh, think about, as, uh, you know, when I got involved, um, just given the legacy of um, Congressman John Lewis, you know, I was saying earlier on that he got involved when he was 17 years old. Uh, you know, I will say that as an immigrant, I came with my family in 1998. Uh, I was only 13 years old, and I, you know, experienced both the best that this country has to offer, which is an opportunity for my parents to have employment, to work, to be able to have food at the table. You know, my parents, like many immigrants, left Ecuador fleeing poverty and seeking a better life for their kids here in this country. And 
And also we got to experience some of the worst that this country has to offer. You know, racial profiling, exploitation in the workplace. You know, I have countless times that my dad, for example, um, you know, uh, didn't get wages mm-hmm. from his employers and his wages were stolen because he was undocumented. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and leaving with that fear of deportation on a day-to-day basis, you know, that shaped uh, my experience in 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 this country, um, and also shaped uh, why I started organizing as a young person. My parents have worked so hard. I have worked so hard to make sure that you know I could go to college, and getting an education was such a central dream for them uh, and a value. So that propelled me to seek out um, help, um, and it was in that way that I ended up connecting with. Um, community organizations that were fighting for families like my my own mm-hmm. undocumented families, and that was my entry point to um, um, to understanding that there was a way for me to take action. Um, and as I got to meet more undocumented young people, and I was only um, a 19 year old at mm-hmm. the time, um, I started realizing that that this was more systematic that it was beyond my own story and my experience. It was beyond what my family was experiencing. But I got to meet people that had lost family members to deportation. And it was fighting through those deportation campaigns that I became really committed to ensuring that communities, um, including my own family and immigrant communities across the country, wouldn't have to live with this fear of being separated from their loved ones Mm -hmm. um, or... Um, being behind bars mm-hmm. in a detention facility or, or being deported. And, you know, I, I started um, uh, organizing from a, a personal experience, obviously, for what my family was going through, but, you know, grew up to really uh, co- uh, becoming committed to the freedom um, and to the dignity of all uh, my community um, and and communities uh, of color. Um, United We Dream is a very visible um, organization um, nationwide, and and I dare say even abroad. Um, so what are the next steps? I know you've already mentioned mobilizing people to get them to the polls on in November, but what are your next steps in, in terms of growing the movement and, and continuing to fight for um, Congressman Lewis's legacy? I think that the legacy of um, Congressman Lewis is for us to continue to, as he said, when we see injustice, when we see something that is wrong, that we have the moral responsibility to take action, to speak up, uh, and to get in good trouble, um, in necessary trouble, as he calls it. So when I think of the 15-year-olds and the 17-year-olds and the 20-year-olds that are part of our training program right now, um, which is called Summer Dreams, um, I, I see us following on that legacy uh, of John Lewis, of Ella Baker, of Rosa Parks, mm-hmm. as we train that new generation to continue to be freedom fighters. You know, you've already stated throughout the interview, um, change doesn't happen overnight. There will be misses. There will be successes. Um, it's an up and down, you know, um, struggle. What message do you have for young people who may be losing hope, who may feel that um, nothing's going to come out of this? 
you know, they are not seeing immediate results. What is your message of hope to them? You know, there is a lot that we're winning and a lot uh, to be optimistic for. Um, and what I hope that we see in this election is a wave of young people who will also take their uh, voice and their power to vote, uh, to bring change uh, to this country, um, and to continue to bring a wave of candidates that uh, are really committed to uh, justice for communities. We are making the impossible possible, and um, it's just a matter of uh, realizing the power that we have and taking action together. Thank you so, so much for your time, Christina. Good luck to you and all of your projects. Thank you, Maria. It was a pleasure. That's it for today's episode of Voices for Change. Thank you for tuning in. We hope to continue bringing you inspirational stories like the one you just heard. We thank you for your ideas, suggestions, and comments. So just look us up on social media or send us an email at voicesforchange at gmail.com. Remember Gandhi's great advice, be the change you wish to see in the world. Until next time... 